Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hill Spring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. Say big good morning to our online audience. Glad you are watching with us. And I want to remind you that next week, for most schools, it is spring break. Can I get an amen? The kids are fired up, excited about that. And next Sunday, by the way, is that spring forward where you lose that hour of sleep. So we're going to help you out. We're only doing one service next Sunday. You're welcome. Yeah. Now, we got folks going everywhere, some of y'all going on vacation, some of y'all going on mission trips, and so with that being spring break, man, we, we, ain't, we ain't afraid to make a change so we can sleep in. Can I get an amen? So next Sunday, one service at 11 o'clock, hashtag you're welcome, and uh, if you come at 9 o'clock, just come stay, so it'll be all fine. So everybody, everybody say, I love BK. So I said that in first service, and a guest asked me after service, she goes, boy, y'all sure do love Burger King. I was like... So my name's Brent Kellogg. I'm the pastor here. And so when I say I love BK, and just shorten that down. So um, I, I got I to do something I don't really want to do. I got to do something, though, that I feel like I need to do and introduce a little bit of tension. And one of the things I love about how we handle conflict and handle disagreement sometimes at Hillspring is we're very, very open-handed and even open to dialogue about some things. But I just I want to take just a second before we jump into Mark chapter 4 and just... Um, on Tuesday, our state is going to vote on an issue, state question 820. And I've prayed through this, I've sought counsel, and I just wanna tell you, I'm not gonna tell you how to vote. That's your business. But I'm gonna ask you to do some research. I'm gonna ask you to Google state question 820, do your best to kind of read it, because those state questions sometimes are so, uh, and so if you're like, what's 820? Well, it's recreational marijuana for the state of Oklahoma. And I just, I don't know that that's good for our state. I'm not telling you how to vote, telling you I'm voting no because I just don't know that it's good for where we are. Maybe there's a way and a path to do that, but this law has some major challenges. Another state passed a very similar law to this and their state Supreme Court shot it down, saying there were some things about it that were unconstitutional. So I just, I'm gonna encourage you, get on the Googles, get on the web, do your research, do your reading, and look at sources that you might trust, and you can be mad right now. It's okay, it's fine. I'm just gonna ask you to be a responsible citizen and do some research before you go vote for something, and I'm gonna ask you to go vote. That's important. We live in a country where we have that right. Amen, everybody. We are on a journey with Jesus, and I am very blessed to have had younger grandparents. Um, they were very active. I don't know if it's because they were active or crazy, but I, I, I just, they were, they took us grandkids. There were five of us. I'm the youngest and the favorite, didn't really have to say that part, it's just assumed, right? So twice they loaded us up into a motorhome and took us to California and we'd be gone for a month. Listen, I love my kids, I ain't loading my two kids into a motorhome and going to California for a month, you know what I'm saying? But my grandparents, we just traveled a lot, we did a lot, they were young enough to have the energy to do that. They were grandparents at 38, I'm 48 and very happy with my two teenage kids. Can I get an amen? You know, like, slow my roll a little bit. So. Um, I was the youngest, and so the other grandkids uh, kind of got old enough to get summer jobs, and so there were a couple of summers that I was there just by myself, and so I was left to entertain the grandparents. Like, I feel like they owe me a little bit, you know? And so one afternoon, my grandfather, after the hay had all been bailed and whatever chores we had for the day, he got a hankering about lunchtime, and he said, I wanna go fishing. And so prior to me being about a fifth or sixth grader, we fished 
like the vast majority of normal people with rod and reels, okay? But my dad got introduced to jug fishing, where you go fishing for catfish. And so everything changed. Now my granddad jug fished and, and all that. And so he wanted to go fishing that afternoon, hot summer day, but him, his nephew, who'd been my dad's first cousin, myself, we loaded up the pickup and the boat and we headed to Lake Eufaula and we went jug fishing and it was absolutely amazing. Kind of a, it was a warm summer day, but there was enough breeze. It just, man, when you're a young kid, you're just having the time of your life, right? And we put our jugs right along Highway 69 and uh, we were kind of in a wide spot of Lake Eufaula and we could kind of notice out to the west that there was a summertime kind of thunderhead was kind of building. So we kept one eye on a jug and one eye on the thunderstorm and just kind of kept watching. And eventually it got close enough to us. My granddad said, boys, we need to start collecting our jugs, which was a process. It took better part of an hour to get them out and took even longer to get them collected and, and get them put in. So we started putting them in and we got about halfway done and that breeze really started picking up. And, and because we were at a wide spot in the lake, man, them lay, those waves just come, come rolling in. One of the songs we sing around here is Open up the heavens. You know, um, that afternoon, that took on a whole other meaning with open up the heavens. I mean, I mean, it just, and we left half the jugs and we just headed for the boat ramp. My granddad was driving the boat. His, his nephew, my cousin, he was just sitting there just holding on. And I'm sitting in the bottom of the boat holding on for dear life and I'm praying the best way a young man knows how to pray. And um, there were big old swells, and, and we, our, our boat was a short boat. It was only like 16 feet, and there was one wave. We went completely through what they call torpedoed it, and like, whoosh, come over the top of us. And one time, we were between two waves, and, and, and as we went down in the bottom of that wave, I looked over, and a stump came up about like that high. I'm like, huh, I love my grandpa, but I was convinced that day he tried to kill me. <laughs> we got to the... We got to the boat ramp. I don't know if you've ever been on a rough flight or maybe you've had a story like that and you get on solid ground. <laughs> Never been so happy to be not fishing in all my life. You know what I'm saying? Whew. Maybe you've had similar stories where you were fishing like that and you've been out there and it starts out a beautiful evening and then all of a sudden you feel like God has remembered all of the naughty things you've ever done in your life. And he wants to create a little space for you to repent. Man, I was repenting my heart out. Lord, if you'll just get, by the way, that's how I became to be a preacher. Lord, if you'll just get me to the boat ramp, I'll be a preacher. No, no, that's not, that's not. So when I read stories about Jesus and, and his storms, my mind goes back to Lake Eufaula. I have a little bit of context. Before we get to Mark's gospel and his telling of Jesus in the storm, I want to look at a couple of other pieces of scripture and how they kind of tie together. I want to look at another storm, but actually in the Old Testament book of Jonah. It's a little bitty book tucked away kind of in the middle of the Old Testament. If you got your Bible, you can start there, but if not, we'll put it up on the screen for you. And Jonah was a prophet, or, or probably more a term you'd be familiar with. He was like a, a preacher really kind of a traveling evangelist. He would go and he would preach about God and teach about things about that. And the scripture doesn't say it. I'm probably using way too much imagination here. But 
I'm guessing that Jonah probably at some point in his life had one of those, I will never kind of moments. Some advice, don't ever tell God, I will never, because it just, it's, you say that, it's probably going to happen. And so God had asked Jonah, it's possible Jonah said, well, I know one thing, I'm never going to go to Nineveh. And God's like, <laughs> that's cute, right? And so God asked Jonah, I want you to go preach to the people of Nineveh. Most likely Jonah despised them. They were a vile, full of sin, wicked people to Jewish people. They were absolutely repulsive. And God said, Jonah, I want you to go preach to them. And Jonah says, no. He goes the other way. Jonah goes down, gets on a ship, and he actually runs the other direction. And maybe you've heard this story. If you've ever heard a thing called Veggie Tales, they have a cute movie called Jonah. It's great, great telling for your kids or whatever. Maybe you've never heard this story. Go read it in the Bible. It's actually one of the Bible stories that's actually kind of easy to read because you don't have to, they don't speak code talk and all that type of stuff. And so I encourage you to read the story of Jonah. Jonah runs the other way. He gets on a ship. He's headed in the opposite direction, and that ship runs head into a storm. And the sailors know there's only one thing that's different on this trip. It's the guy we let on, and they start asking questions. Who are you? What do you do again? Where are you from? Where are you going? And Jonah says, well, I'm a prophet of the God who created the universe and the one who created the land and the sea. And they said, oh, you serve that God? Okay, well, if that's your God, then how do we stop this crazy storm? And he says, well, <laughs> you're going to have to throw me overboard. And they didn't want to throw him overboard, but they did. Verse 14, then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Jonah's God. Please don't make us die for this man's sin. Like, we didn't know. Don't hold us responsible for his death, O Lord. You have sent this storm upon him for your own good reason. And then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. And the sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Like in our context, those brothers just got saved. They were amazed because they threw Jonah over and God, he said, by the way, I serve the God who created this sea. I serve the God who can control these storms. And they threw, and all of a sudden they were in awe. Like, wow, we serve all these gods, but that is the one true God, the God of the Jews, the God of Jehovah. This point of this portion of Jonah's story, the point of this is that there's only one God and his name is Jehovah. And only that God has the power and the ability, catch this, to control the winds and the waves and the storm. There is only one, Buddha can't do that. Mohammed can't do, there's only one God and his name is Jehovah who has that kind of supernatural divine power. The God who created the oceans also has power over the oceans, amen? They were awestruck by God's power. In this moment, it proved that he truly was the one and only God. Now, I want to add to Jonah's little summertime thunderstorm story. I want to add to that just one verse out of Psalm 89. You don't have to turn that, I'll put it up on the screen. Psalm 89, the psalm writer says, you, God, you rule the oceans, you subdue 
the storm-tossed waves. There's a powerful theological declaration about God. God, you rule the oceans. God, you subdue the storm-tossed waves. His power to rule over creation, to subdue the storms. Almost feels prophetic is what's building here. I want to add one more piece to the puzzle. And this was towards the end of Jesus' ministry. And, and, and he's always kind of being confronted, if you will, by these religious elites. Because Jesus was just kind of always pointing out the hypocrisy in their life. And, and, and so they have this conversation like, oh, you think you're the son of God? Prove it. Like, you think your dad's better than my dad? Just prove it, you know? Like, you think you can run faster than me? Prove it. They're kind of throwing a little, prove it. And so Jesus is having that kind of prove it conversation with these guys. So I want to read to you just real quick out of Matthew chapter 12. Don't have to turn there. It says, one day some teachers of religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign so you can prove it. Verse 39, Jesus replied, well, only an adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I'm going to give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he's going to unpack this, okay? We talked about Jonah just a minute ago. He's guy got thrown overboard the ship. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. So when those sailors threw Jonah overboard, they're like, Lord, please don't hold his death against us because they assumed Jonah would drown and die. Not so fast. God actually had a great fish. We, we, we say Jonah in the belly of the whale. We don't know for sure this well. The Bible just says it was a great fish. This great fish swallowed him up for three days. Jonah was in the belly of that great fish and then it finally spit him up close enough to land where he could walk to Nineveh and go do what God told him to do. And Jesus says, I'm gonna tell you the sign I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you the sign of Jonah the prophet that he was in the belly of that whale for three days and I too am gonna to be in the belly of this earth. Meaning I'm gonna be in a grave and it's gonna be cold and dark and damp and feel hopeless. But at the end of that third day, the spirit of the living God is gonna erect him and bring him back to life. Can I get an amen? amen. So the big picture of Jonah's story was that the good news was preached to the people of Nineveh, okay? But we also know God uses little things. Jesus said, I'm gonna give, give you the sign of Jonah, but there's also a direct correlation that comes out of the story of Jonah. Remember, it was proof that there's one God that created the heavens and the earth and the seas and has the power to control those seas. That proof was given in the story of Jonah. Jesus could also possibly gonna show them that sign as well. Okay. If you've got your Bible, we're going to go to Mark's Gospel, chapter 3. And, uh, excuse me, Mark chapter 4. It feels like there's a lot of storms in, in Jesus' ministry, but technically there's only two. The first storm that we're going to look at today in Mark chapter 4 is told in, and we call them the synoptic gospels. Okay meaning their synopsis or their storyline, the, the synopsis of Matthew, Mark, and Luke all matches relatively close. It kind of walks along the same sideline. So there's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels. Then you have John. Most likely John may have not even known their gospels existed. Maybe he did. But John wrote his story of Jesus way later in life, and his timeline doesn't always match, although he does tell some of the similar stories. 
So the first storm is in the synoptic gospels. The second storm happens in all four of the gospels, but Matthew gives a detail. And the second storm is where the disciples leave without Jesus. Just some advice, don't do that. Like don't, don't go out on your own. And Jesus walks on the water out to them. Matthew adds one little detail that Peter's like, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come. He's like, all right, come on. And, and Matthew tells us that Peter actually walked on water, okay? We're gonna look at the first storm. Nobody's walking on water. Jesus is in the boat. He begins in the boat and, and he's, he's going with those guys. Now, from our lessons in school, we know that sometimes you would study a unit, the teacher would teach the information in the unit, and then at the end of the unit, there would be a unit test. So there is teaching, and then there is a test. There'd be this presentation of information, and then there would be a test. That's exactly what's going to happen in Mark chapter four. So the beginning of this passage, in this context, Jesus is teaching. And there were so many people that were crowded. He actually goes, hey guys, let's get in this boat and just push me off just a little bit. And, and so the crowds can stand on the, and I don't want them to get to me and kind of, because they were always reaching and grabbing at him. How do you teach if somebody's always trying to grab a hold of you? And so Jesus would get in this boat. And in this boat, he has all 12 of his disciples and he's off just a little bit, just enough so that on the shore they can still hear him, but they can't necessarily get to him. But then other people will get in boats and they'll get out there and try to get close so they can hear what's going on. And so the whole shore would be full of people and Jesus is out in his boat and he's teaching and he's teaching. In Mark chapter four, he teaches. He teaches about the four souls that Pastor Matt preached on last week. And he teaches about some other things. And at the end of that message, he's like, hey, let's not go back to that because like even unloading, there's just gonna be a lot of people and be a lot of demand and we wouldn't get to eat and sleep. And so he just tells his disciples, let's just, Let's just go ahead and go on to the other side. Mark chapter four, verse 35. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. I'm ready. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and they started out leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. Meaning there were boats that were out there with him and Jesus, go get him, you know, like chase him. So, so Jesus and his 12 disciples go, but other boats followed, verse uh, 37. Soon a fierce storm came up. High winds were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. And Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion and the disciples woke him up shouting. I don't know how y'all wake people up in your house, but in the Kellogg house, there's not a lot of shouting. It's, it's a very gentle process. At least you not want your nose broken. <laughs> Baby, you, you won't get up today? I mean, it, you, you just, they were shouting. That's never worked for me. It means I'm spending that night on the couch. The disciples woke him up shouting, teachers, don't you care? We're gonna drown. I wanna take some lessons from buckets and boats today. And the first one, when I look at this passage, when I look at these, there is an accusation about Jesus' love. And actually, there's an accusation of the absence of Jesus' love. It's in the words. It's how they're talking to him. Don't you care? Like Jesus. I left my fishing business to come here with you. Remember a couple weeks ago we walked through all the disciples? Oh, it was amazing. Like I left my wife at home with her, 
all those kids. Jesus, don't you know I gave up my business to follow you? Jesus, I always constantly have the stress of crowds. Jesus, I sleep under the stars. Jesus, I followed you. And by the way, we have our own version of that. Jesus, I go to church every Sunday. Jesus, I raised my kids in church. Jesus, I tithe. Jesus, I served on the dream team. I did that 21 days of prayer. For 21 days, I didn't eat cheeseburgers, Jesus. And I did it for you. Jesus, I've prayed. I followed where I thought you were leading, Jesus, and you led me right into a storm. We have our own version of Jesus, don't you care? This accusation was not gentle, it was shouting. It wasn't, um, Jesus, you might want to put your life down. <laughs> um, hey, buddy. I just want to let you know we're about to die. Like, it, it's, that's not, it's not gentle. It's shouting. Don't you care about us? And listen, I have no rocks to throw. Absolutely, because I can be the first person to throw a pity party and send out invitations. God, where are you? Lord, I'm a pastor. I've given my life to, that day in the boat, I surrendered my life. Lord, I, I've served you my whole, I've served your crazy people my whole life, Lord. Lord, don't you care? Storms do that to us, don't they? Stress does that to us. A little bit of pressure can produce some fear, can produce some doubt, can produce some anger. And, and when there's that pressure, our emotions start to just kind of come out. Don't you care? And these are the 12 disciples. Jesus handpicked them. These are the 12 that he's going to entrust with the birthing of the church. He's gonna give them the power to teach and preach mightily under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And they had their doubts. They thought they were going down. They had fears. They had the same emotions. God, where are you? Don't you care that you and I deal with when we go through our own versions of storms? Listen, it's okay to doubt. It's okay to question. It's not okay to give in and let that fear settle into your soul. Don't let doubt turn into defeat. Don't let fear begin to erode away at your faith. From this crisis of crashing waves, Jesus gives them an antidote for their fear. Like, here's how you solve it. Verse nine, when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? I love the order and how he deals with this. He's very methodical. He deals with the crisis first and then he has the conversation. He, he solves the problem because like, listen, if you're throwing life preservers and the waves are crashing in, that's not really a good time for teaching. I ain't hearing anything you're saying, Jesus. All I can hear is the guy sitting next to me, Thaddeus, and he's screaming like a junior high girl. You have to remove yourself from the pressure before you can receive the presentation. 
Jesus took care of the crisis and then he had the conversation. So Jesus calms the storm and, and then he says, why are you afraid? Why are we afraid? Because we're about to die. Hello, have you, where have you been? Oh, that's right, you were napping. We were up here pailing water out of the boat with our buckets and you were napping. Jesus, the water keeps getting higher in the boat. That's why we're afraid. It felt like a hopeless situation. I don't know, how long you got, Jesus? You want me to keep going? That's a crazy question. One commentator mentioned this, that they didn't wake Jesus up so that he could do a miracle. When you read the context of the story and Jesus says, peace be still or silence be still, they are shocked at what he does. They woke Jesus up so he could get a bucket and start helping pail water out of the boat. Hey, Jesus, we're up here just pailing and pailing. We're about to go down. You think you could get a bucket and help too? They were just wanting Jesus to grab a bucket when he had the power to do something so much bigger. Sometimes, sometimes we pray small prayers, don't we? Sometimes we pray small prayers and like, God, if you, you know, if you're in the mood and, and God, if there's a, if you, and, and here's why we do that, because we're not sure he'll answer the big ones. Because I've prayed some big prayers and he didn't answer them the way I thought he should. God, would you heal my dad's cancer? And he didn't. And my dad went home to glory. God, would you just bring revival and then it doesn't happen? God, would you just do a financial miracle? God, could you fix the thing? And, and we pray these big prayers and it doesn't happen. So that begins to erode away at our faith. And so sometimes Jesus, you'll just get a bucket. That'll be great. When he wants to do something so much bigger in your life, sometimes he requires that we go through some stuff so he can build our faith. It's to test us, to kind of see where we're at. And sometimes we cannot let those moments of disappointment begin to destroy the faith that God wants to build inside of us. Oh, Lord, I know you love me. Lord, I know you forgave me. Jesus, if you'll just, if you'll just start pailing water, that'd be great. If you'll just take this bucket. But really, he wants to do something so much bigger. They'd heard him teach. I mean, he was just in the, just in the boat teaching before the storm. They'd seen him do miracles. I think, I think they were like, man, Matthias, what do you think about this? Man, I don't know. Bartholomew, what about you? Man, I, I know he's anointed. Man, I know when he teaches. I've never heard anybody teach like that and that whole miracle thing. But here's the deal. Moses, Elijah, Elisha, and other prophets had done miracles before. I, I think they were wondering, do you think he is the Messiah? But even if he was the Messiah, I don't know that they thought he was the actual son of God, that he was divine. Sure, he's anointed by God, but, but I don't think they had connected the dots that he was actually the son of God that had the power and the ability to control the waves and the storms over creation. And Jesus, in this moment, gives them an antidote to deal with their fear. Verse 40, why are you afraid? You still have no faith. He's saying if you had faith, it will suppress your fear. He's giving us an equation. So the second lesson from Buckets and Boats, the antidote for fear is faith. The antidote for fear is faith. Faith is greater than fear. So listen, if fear is controlling your life, God, would you just help me build my faith? And then hold on. If fear's leading you, 
or preventing you or stopping you. God, I know, I know there's teaching and attesting, Lord, but help my unbelief. God, would you help me grow in faith? Faith is our answer to overcoming fear. Every one of the 12 disciples had to go through this to strengthen their faith. They were soaked, they were scared, it felt hopeless. Hey Jesus, you might wanna wake up, we're about to die. You wanna be awake for this. It was heavy, it was hard, but it was also necessary for them to believe. Sometimes we have to go through the storms of life to build our faith. The storm that you are in, the storms that you have been through, they left you scared, they left you even feeling like God won't answer my prayers. God won't do the big stuff for me. But the storms of life are what will strengthen your faith if you will let them. If you'll let them. Don't let the storms of life turn into bitterness. Let it make you better. Let it make you better. My wife and I opened a small business and let's just say in all my years of life, I've had better ideas than this. You know what I'm saying? I, uh, help me. And it's a very seasonal type business. And by the time you get to the slow season, by the time you get to the end of it, like you're just trying to hang on. You're just trying to make it. Baby, I hate to say this, but I think we're gonna have to start selling some of the cats. I mean, we have 11, so we won't... And I think I've got two litters of kittens on the way. So if you need a cat, I'm your guy. Right now they're for sale. Catch me in July and they'll probably be free, you know. <laughs> Jesus told his disciples, let's go to the other side. Like we're gonna make it. And he has said similar things to both Jerry and I. So in the fall, which is really where the slow season begins, and I'm not saying I heard the voice of God, but it just sometimes you can perceive the Spirit of God leading you. And I knew we were going to this. I, I felt like the Lord just said, I got you. Are you ready for a faith journey? To which I said, no. <laughs> Do I even have a choice? And I felt, it's crazy, you're sitting out in that parking lot one day and I felt like the discern the Spirit of God say, I'm gonna make this fun for you, okay? Let me be clear, zero out of five stars. It's not been very fun. It's been very stressful. He's having a blast, all right? I don't think that means what you think it means, right? Because there's been weeks. We have to make rent and payroll and loan payments. You have to, and sometimes that's all due in the same week, and sometimes there is just not enough so Jerry's like, what are you doing? I'm trying to catch a cat. I'm trying to sell that one right there. <laughs> Got an interested buyer on that one. And, and literally there was one of those weeks. This was, gosh, middle of November and just in that dry season and all oh, the stuff's due. And, and I had to face as long as a horse and I was just stressed. And Jerry texts me and like, hey, we got this check in the mail. Of course we did. <laughs> I think God has an amazing sense of humor. I mean, just look at me. You know what I'm saying? What would, what would think this is a good idea, you know? And literally, she sent me that text, and I'm not saying I heard the voice of God, but it's like, are we having fun yet? <laughs> I just laughed. No. 
Guys, I'm telling you, at every turn, God has proven himself faithful. It has stressed me to the max. This was a whole lot less gray. (laughs) But at every turn, God said, I shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And this has been such a faith-growing journey for me. He's even taught old Pastor Brent to trust him in ways deeper than I ever imagined I would. And I'm not gonna lie, it has stressed me and stretched me, but it's also built my faith. When's that due? Thursday? It's only noon by Wednesday. He's got lots of time. It's fine. It's nothing. Verse 41. The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They ask each other. Even the winds and the waves obey him. That word terrified, that, that's, that caught my attention. I went and looked at it and, and kind of went back to the original language of what they were going. And, and so when you read these words, they're not the same words, but it's the same idea. It's the same, wow. It's the same awe that we find in Jonah. When they threw Jonah over and the storm stopped and they were in awe, they were awestruck and they, and they made sacrifices. God, we'll serve you. It's not the same words, but it's the same idea. Verse 41, the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? Wow. So that word terrified, it it means to fear, but it also means to revere, like to highly respect. I don't, this is probably just me. You've, You've probably never experienced this, but have you ever been around someone that you perceived they were so godly that you just know they have a direct line to God. Like you think they are so godly that sometimes God asks them for advice. They are so holy, you don't even wanna make eye contact with them because oh no, he's gonna read my soul and know what I was doing my junior year of high school in the back of a Ford Mercury, you know what I'm saying. You just, they make you nervous because they're so holy. No, just me. Okay, moving on. (laughs) Sometimes you can bear on the, and that's exactly what was going on this moment. Wow, you calm the sea. Oh, no, Psalm 89 says that only God can. Ooh, so listen, hey, I can explain about that whole uh, kick my dog thing this morning. And so this moment, they just become aware who they are in the boat with. So at first they're wild, and then they're, ooh, wow. And he didn't throw a single one of them out of the boat. Bartholomew, mm-mm. that freshman year of high school, no, no, no. He didn't throw a single one of them out of the boat. So this moment is also affirmation that Jesus truly, really was God. Not just a good teacher, not just a guy that could do miracles. He truly had the power over creation. He had the power to stop storms. He had the power to stop waves. They knew he was special. They knew he could teach. They knew he could do miracles, but so could Moses, Elijah, and other prophets. But Psalm 89, God, you alone rule the oceans. God, you alone have the power to subdue the storm-tossed waves. And that just, Jesus just subdued the waves. And he wants to do the exact same thing in your storm. This storm revealed the reality of who Jesus was. They had to go through the storm to really see God. 
It was affirmation that Jesus was God. It, they thought it might be, I don't know, I, but it affirmed what they thought. They could see Jesus clearly for who he was. Had there been no storm, there'd been no miracle. Had there been no waves, there'd been no awe and wonder. No crisis, no revelation that Jesus was the Christ. The storms of our lives, yes, they squeeze the heebie-jeebie out of us, but it shows us a little bit more about how good our God is. The story began by Jesus saying, let's go to the other side of the lake. Not... Hey, well, let's go out here and drown. He did not say, boys, let's try and see if we can get across this part of the lake. No, 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 no. Jesus said, let's go. Let's go to the other side of the lake. He gave them a word and he fulfilled his word. He brought to pass what he told them was going to happen. And chapter five begins this way. I'm going to put it on the screen. I just want to read it to you. This is how chapter five, the next story begins. It reads just like this. Mark chapter five, verse one. And it says, so they arrived at the other side of the lake. I'm weird. Um, but my phone is so encouraging to me. And so I, sometimes I, I'll put in my GPS, just to, I know where I'm going, I just know how long it's gonna take me to get there. And, and, but I'll leave it on, even if I know where I'm going and I get really close, I leave it on till I get there because Siri is just so encouraging to me, she'll go, you have arrived. Well, thank you very much. Could you tell my wife that? No, I will not. I'll, I'll even do that with Jerry in the car. Like I'll have the maps going and, and I'll have it right there and then I'll know we're getting ready to pull in the parking lot where it's about to say, you have arrived. And I just hold it up so she can hear it. You have arrived. See? They arrived. Not in a goofy GPS sense. Jesus did what he said he was gonna do. He got them to the other side. Listen, listen to me. You're gonna make it. You might be in a storm right now and it's just constant and wave after wave and you're torpedoing the waves. You're seeing stumps come up beside. You're gonna, you're, you're gonna make it. You might get wet, but you're gonna make it. Your marriage, it's gonna be okay. You just hang in there, you just keep rowing. You just keep asking for that big miracle. Your kids, they're going to turn out okay. Your job, it's, it's going to be okay. In a storm, God's just using it to show you something about himself. Your depression, you're going to be okay. Your emotion, it's okay. Your anxiety, your worry, your fear, it's going to be okay. God's going to give you the faith. He's going to grow your faith that you are going to make, you are going to arrive at the other side. He wants you to be in awe of something. He wants to show you that you are going to make it to the other side. The disciples saw Jesus for who he was. Do you see him today for who he is? Is Jesus your God? Is he your savior? Are you in a relationship with him? Have you ever had that awestruck moment? Here's the deal. We are all just like the sailors in Jonah's boat. We're a mess, we're lost. The Bible says all have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned, all of us. And while you were dead in that sin, while you were stuck, there's nothing you could do about it. There was nothing you could do. 
You can't buy your way out. You can't earn your way. You can't, well, I'll clean myself up in the No, 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 nothing. While you were dead in your sin, Jesus Christ came and he came as the son of God. He lived, he taught, he, he calmed storms, but he also went to a cross. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. He shed his blood so you could be forgiven of your sin. He never intended for a relationship with him to be complicated. Here's the way Romans says it. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, if he really is the son of God, I believe that. And if you believe in your heart, God supernaturally raised him from the dead, proving he really is God. You will be saved. Have you ever done that? Have you ever confessed and believed that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? All across this room, nobody moving around. Ever head bowed, ever eye closed. I just wanna lead you in a prayer. It's the best way I know how to confess and believe that Jesus is your Savior. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna ask you to walk the aisle or talk to anybody. I just wanna lead you in a simple prayer. If you know today you're not in right relationship with God, are you ready? If, that, if I'm talking right to you right now, I just invite you to just whisper this prayer with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today because I need you. I made a lot of mistakes, Jesus. Would you come into my life? Would you forgive me? Would you make me a new person? I don't want that life anymore. Jesus, would you save me? Today, I completely surrender my whole life to you. Every head still bowed, every eye still closed. Nobody's looking around. I'm not gonna embarrass you. You don't have to stand up. You don't talk to anybody. I just wanna pray for you. Give you a next step. If you prayed that prayer with me this morning, nobody's looking, just slip up your hand. Anybody here today, you prayed that prayer, just slip it up real high. Don't miss this moment. Anybody. Spirit of the living God, we pray for hundreds of people. Father, for hundreds of people to be impacted by the gospel. Lord, we pray for our marriages to be impacted. Pray for our kids and the next generation. Father, I, I pray our faith be built. Lord, I know some of us in this room are fighting our way through a storm. God, would you show up and prove who you are in our life in a major way. Lord, we might be asking for a bucket. I pray you do something bigger. In the beautiful, matchless name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody says, come on, give God the biggest praise you got. Amen, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.